the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Counting the cost of being a disciple of Christ. Next on Abounding Grace with Pastor Gary Wagner. Hi there. And welcome. This is Abounding Grace with our teacher and pastor, Gary Wagner, from Reformed Heritage Church in San Jose. We're back in the book of Luke today, chapter 14, beginning in verse 25 and moving forward, a message called Count the Cost of Being a Disciple of Christ. Uh, Now, to be sure, grace, salvation, is free, unmerited. We do nothing to secure our salvation. That said, there is a cost in being a disciple. Have you counted that cost? Let's do so together today, shall we? Here's Pastor Gary Wagner with today's broadcast of Abounding Grace. Once there was a man who collected and traded in pearls. One day when he was away on business, he spotted a beautiful pearl in a jeweler's window. It was a pearl such as he had never seen. Perfect in shape, size, and color. I must have that pearl, the man said. How much is it? The gentleman behind the counter replied, I'm afraid you can't afford this pearl. But I must have it. I'll pay anything, the man said. Anything, replied the jeweler. Yes, anything. Very well, if you want the pearl, you can buy it. But it will cost you everything you have. Everything I have, the man exclaimed. Yes, everything. Okay, I'll pay the price. So he took out his wallet and began to count all of his, out all of his money, and he gave the guy all of his money except for $5 for himself. And he said, I'll have to have some money to buy gas for my car. The jeweler said, oh, you have a car, do you? It will cost you your car, too. But how will I get back and forth to work? You have a job? You have a business? It will cost you your business. But the man said, if I give up my job, how will I pay my house? Oh, you have a house. Give me the house. But, sir, what would then become of my family, my wife and my children? So you have a family. It will cost you your family. Then the man said, that is everything I have. The jeweler responded, I told you, it will cost everything you have to obtain this pearl. But I didn't know you meant everything. Yes, everything. At last, the man said, I must have the pearl. I will give you everything. And he gave the jeweler everything he had. Then the jeweler gave him the pearl. Then he gave him his money back. Then he gave him his car. Then he gave him back the deed to his house and his business. And then he gave him back his wife and his children. But now remember, said the jeweler, All of these things belong to me. I want you to take them and use them. But don't ever forget, they belong to me. And any time I call for them or call upon you to use them for me, you must remember, they are all mine. 
and you gave them to me for this great pearl. And Jesus said, The kingdom of heaven is like unto a merchant seeking God goodly pearls, who when he had found one pearl of great price, he went and sold all that he had and bought it. Jesus said, you want to be my disciples? Okay, here's what it is going to cost you. Everything. Look at verse 26, Luke 14 again. If anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life, he cannot, he cannot be my disciple. That is essentially restated down in verse 33 that we read a while ago. Not one of you can be my disciple who does not give up all his own possessions. Matthew 16, 24 says it just a little different. If anyone wishes to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Romans 12, 1 says something very similar. I urge you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your body a living and holy sacrifice. Now, what is the basis of such commands? Lay aside your own life and give it to me. 1 Corinthians 16, 19 and Romans 14, 7 say, Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God, and that you are not your own, for you have been bought with a price? Therefore glorify God in your body. Romans, not one of us lives for himself, and not one dies for himself. For if we live, we live for the Lord, or if we die, we die for the Lord. Therefore, whatever we live or we die, we are the Lord's. Now, why can he make such claims on us? Why can he say, you want to be my disciple? Then give me everything. Number one, because we don't belong to ourselves. He purchased us with his own blood and everything about us belongs to him. We belong to him and everything that we are, body and soul. Now, what does it mean to deny ourselves and give up ourselves and follow Christ? Well, it doesn't mean to suppress and deny those natural, good, God-given desires that He has given you. It doesn't mean that you can't please your five senses. It doesn't mean that you refuse to take good care of yourself and handle your affairs responsibly. Just let the Lord do it. It doesn't mean that you have to choose an austere and morbid life over a joyful one that includes the celebration of all of God's goodness. So what does self-defile then mean? Giving up yourself to God and denying yourself is the censoring of your pleasures, profits, relationships, interest, and whatever else you enjoy that are competing with Christ and your love for Him. You must be willing to give up any and all things, if necessary, if they become stumbling blocks in your devotion to the Lord Jesus Christ. Do you remember these strong words Jesus said? He said, and if your right eye makes you stumble, tear it out and throw it from you. For it is better for you that one of the parts of your body perish than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. And if your right hand makes you stumble, cut it off and throw it from you. For it is better for you that one of the parts of your body perish than for your whole body to go to hell. Self-denial involves everything about us. 
Self-denial includes our minds. A disciple of Christ does not lean on his own understanding. And reason always stoops to revelation. A disciple gives up his mind to be guided and instructed and to be dictated to and directed by the word of God alone. He renounces his own personal standards of of judgment and the rights to his own opinion. He's willing to go and think whatever the Word of God tells him. Self-denial of the mind involves a deliberate, continuous effort with God's help to restrain and subdue and hold in check the sinful thoughts and lust that arise in our minds. Listen to this. This is the verse that led Augustine to Christ. Put on the Lord Jesus Christ... And make no provision for the flesh in regard to its lusts. Self-denial involves the will or wants or desires or our preferences. Our wills, like Augustine's, are to be brought into the subjection of the revealed will of God found only in Scripture. We are to renounce all self-interest and goals and commit ourselves entirely to the carrying out of the interests and the goals and the desires of the Lord Jesus Christ, first and foremost. Self-denial includes our our affections, our loves and our attractions, our likes and our dislikes. Self-denial reduces them to their proper order and intensity, excluding a love for the world and a love for the things of the world. A Christian loves what Christ loves and hates what Christ hates, and he understands what John meant. When he commanded us, do not love the world nor the things of the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the boastful pride of life is not from the Father, but is from the world. And the world is passing away and also its lust. But the one who does the will of God abides forever. Self-denial allows nothing to compete with our love for Christ. It tolerates no claim on life that pulls us away from Him. We want to desire nothing in our lives with an equal or greater intensity than our desire to serve Him. Self-denial also involves our body. The members of our bodies are to be restrained from service to sin and dedicated to righteousness. Paul said in Romans 6, Therefore do not let sin reign in your mortal body, that you should obey its lust, and do not go on presenting the members of your body to sin as instruments of unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those alive from the dead, and your members as instruments of righteousness to God. This has reference to whatever your eyes see, to whatever your ears hear, that your tongue tastes, your hands touch, Wherever your feet take you, we are to be dedicated to the service of Almighty God. In fact, if necessary, we must be willing to lay down our own lives when when we're called on to do so. You say, well, praise the Lord. That's never going to happen to us in the 21st century. Well, tell that to the uncompromising Christians in Syria who are being tortured and beheaded right now because they refuse to deny their Lord and Savior. In the Sudan, churches are burned down by Muslims with Christians still inside, and those who try to escape, they shoot down. Let me tell you again the story of Telemachus, because this is so relevant to our subject of self-denial. 
Now, those of you who have not heard of him, I can assure you, you will never forget him after I finish with this story. This story happened centuries ago when Honorarius was the emperor of Rome. Telemachus was an obscure monk living in the Libyan desert. You've never read anything by him. You never will read anything about him or by him because he never wrote anything. He just lived out in the desert as a humble little monk. Some sailors came to North America and sat around and described the bloody gladiator sports in the Roman Colosseum to the horror of Telemachus. At night, he would picture the gladiators dressed to kill and to die, marching across the arena, standing before the emperor with their swords raised in the air, shouting, we who are about to die salute you. Vestal virgins would bless them. The nobility in their beautiful grandstand covered in bright colored tapestries would smile approvingly. Thousands of spectators would cheer with bloodthirsty delight. The trumpet sounds, the deadly contest begins, blood is drawn, the crowds cheer mercilessly as mangled carcass after carcass of fallen gladiators are dragged from the gory scene while the victor receives his praises. Telemachus' soul is on fire with righteous indignation and grief as he hears these things. So he is determined to leave his desert and to go to Rome to stop the gladiator games in the Roman Colosseum. Poor, naive little guy. He leaves the obscurity of his obscurity and he takes a trip to Rome. He goes to the Colosseum, elbows his way through the crowds and gets a front row seat. The trumpet sounds. The gladiators in the arena begin and then suddenly... Telemachus leaps over the wall and stands in the middle of the arena between the fighting gladiators and he shouts, In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, the King of kings and Lord of lords, I command these wicked games to cease. Everyone in the arena leave now. The crowds were amazed and silenced. The gladiators at first were spellbound and in a moment of contempt and blind rage, the royalty and the crowds cried out, for his death. And one of the gladiators stepped forward and split open Telemachus's head with a battle axe. And the arena was stained with the blood of Telemachus. As Telemachus' body lied dead in the arena, the madness and the cheering of the crowd dies out. The crowds, overwhelmed with Telemachus' courage, begin to hail him as a martyr and a hero. And one historian said this, from that hour, the gladiator sports ceased. Never again did that particular Colosseum see another combat of gladiators with human sacrifices. Would you and I have jumped over that wall? Or would we say, well, you know, we need to pray against the Roman government for allowing this to happen. I wonder what flimsy excuses we would have given for not doing what Telemachus did. What walls do you need to jump over? What arenas do you need to enter? What do you need to do to stand against evil in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ? Telemachus practiced self-denial. 
He who saves his life shall lose it. And he who loses his life for Christ's sake and the gospel shall find it. What shall it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses his own soul? Self-denial not only includes being willing to give up your life, but in the case, the choice, in our case, the choice is probably going to be giving up our possessions and personal self-comfort. Self-denial is renouncing any personal claim on our possessions and properties, bank accounts, investments, houses, cars, boats, income, valuables, radios, iPods, computers, TVs, and DVDs, giving them all to Christ and his kingdom. And when it comes to self-denial in businessmen, there are several specific issues you must keep in mind. When a businessman practices self-denial as a Christian, he gives up his business, his job, and vocation to Christ and sees Christ as his employer. In Colossians 3, Paul said, Whatever you do, do your work heartily as for the Lord rather than for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the reward, the reward of the inheritance. It is the Lord Jesus Christ whom you serve. Masters, grant to your slaves or employees justice and fairness, knowing that you too have a master in heaven. The self-denying businessman does not have the same motives and goals of other businessmen. Now, of course, making a profit in his business is essential to the life of his business. And if he doesn't show a profit, he doesn't have a business. Therefore, the Christian businessman diligently, prudently, and frugally works to provide a good product or a good service to his customers in such a way as to make a profit. But as over against non-Christian and greedy capitalists, this free market Christian businessman has other goals and motives. He works to provide for the basic human needs of his family and of his church and of his community and himself. He works hard in his vocation to provide meaning and fulfillment to human life around him. He works hard for the glory of God, which is the ultimate goal in his life. He is content with God's providential dealings with him because he trusts God and has entrusted himself and his affairs to God. He has learned. That whenever circumstance he finds himself therewith to be content. So the self-denying businessman guards himself against anything that would interrupt or diminish that contentment and thankful trust for his God. He will guard himself against immediate ambition and envy, covetousness, despondency, and depression. And the Christian businessman will also faithfully observe the weekly Sabbath as the Lord's day. He keeps his priorities straight with reference to his family and his business. For after all, what shall a businessman give in exchange for his wife and his children? And after these real penetrating parables and exhortations, Jesus concludes in a very interesting and unexpected way. Verses 34 and 35. <clears throat> he gives another little parable about salt. He says, therefore salt is good, but even salt has become tasteless. But even when salt has become tasteless, with what shall it be seasoned? It is useless either for the soil or the manure pie, or it is thrown out. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. Now, what is the point? The point is that salt is useless if it is not salty. 
If it has lost its saltiness, that is, the special quality of saltiness that gives salt its value and its use, it is absolutely useless. And so is the follower of the Lord Jesus Christ. If he does not possess that particular character that is true to all disciples, he is useless. He has lost his saltiness. And what is that particular character without which a disciple is not a disciple, just as salt is not salt when it is without saltiness. It is that absolute unselfishness and self-sacrificing loyalty to Christ. It is self-denial, placing loyalty to Christ above all else, being willing to give up all claims on yourself and surrender everything you are and have to Him person who does not renounce everything and is not willing to sacrifice everything for Christ's sake is just as useless and valueless as salt that has lost its saltiness. And the Bible says, you are the salt of the earth. And on the simplest level, this means we are to make people thirsty. That's what salt does, right? To make people thirsty. To make people thirsty for the Lord Jesus Christ by our consistency of devotion and surrendering to Him. And then Jesus ends with these words. Who who has ears to hear, let him hear. Because you see, these things are of such great importance, such eternal importance. Pay close attention to them. The welfare of your soul depends upon you listening to these things. And after you have heard a sermon like this, beloved, you must not go home and say, well, I sure was convicted today. And then when the guilt wears off, live like every other Christian lives, just like you lived before. Nothing radical, nothing abnormal, nothing like Telemachus. You just learn to adjust and get along. If that's you, you are useless. Have you given Jesus Christ top priority in your life? Have you given him all-inclusive loyalty and devotion? Are you willing to part with your family and your job and your possessions to follow him? Have you given him yourself to be governed by him? Have you given him all you possess, your strength, your time, your energy? Have you relinquished all claim on yourself and all you possess and surrendered it to His disposal? Or have you lost your saltiness? Do you think that the cost of discipleship is too high? Then count the cost of not following Christ. Not to be Christ's disciple is to be a disciple of, and slave of evil and darkness. Beloved, there is no in-between. The cost of not following Christ is self-destruction forever. He said, if you try to save your life for yourself, you will lose your life. You will lose yourself and your life. Have you counted the cost of discipleship to Christ? There is no third option. It is inescapable if you desire eternal life. It is self-denial or self-destruction. Beloved, don't fool yourselves about these things. 
Jesus will accept nothing less than self-denying, cross-bearing, following of him as your Lord and Savior. You are not a disciple if you do not know and practice these things. In fact, Jesus would rather you not follow him at all than attempt to follow him without denying yourself, totally devoting yourself to him, taking up your cross daily and following him in obedience to his word. But brethren, bear in mind this, that if you do these things that Jesus says, his disciples will most certainly do. The world, including members of your family, will think you are a fool. Professing Christians in many churches will not be able to tolerate you. But do not worry. Jesus will claim you for himself when no one else will. In other words, Jesus and his gospel are everything. Nothing, nothing else is worth living for except knowing Christ, spreading the gospel, and being brought into conformity to his image for his glory. Nothing else, nothing else is worth living for. Amen. Well, that's all the time we have today. This has been Abounding Grace with Pastor Gary Wagner from Reformed Heritage Church in San Jose. If you'd like to review today's broadcast, we would invite you to contact us for a copy of the program. They're available for just $5. Mention today's date and we'll send a CD your way. Here's where to write to us. PMB number 402, 1484 Pollard Road. That's in Los Gatos, California. The zip code is 95032. Again, that's PMB number 402, 1484 Pollard Road. Los Gatos, California, 95032 is that address. Our phone number, if you'd rather call, 408-866-5607. That's 408-866-5607. Our website is reformedheritage.org, and if you'd like to join us for worship, Sunday services are at 2 p.m. We meet at the Lone Hill Church on 5055 Lone Hill Road in Los Gatos. Directions at our website, reformedheritage.org, or again, call 408-866-5607. Thank you for joining us today. We look forward to seeing you next time we get together as we continue our studies in God's Word. Until then, may Christ be your abounding grace. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.